there has to be a willingness to surrender. You don't get saved by what you do, but your salvation should produce a desire to follow him. And that's what he's talking about here. So in verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, we're just going to look at this first one and then we're going to contrast it with the, with the companion warning in verse 24. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. In verse 24, but woe unto you that are rich, for ye have received your consolation. The title is simple. Are you rich or poor? Are you rich or poor? You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I sure do appreciate the Kane family. And uh, they're going to sing, and then after that, we'll get to the message.
understand that things um, are challenging, and they're getting increasingly more challenging, but we have reason to be hopeful, because God does not cease to work, no matter how difficult the days may be or the things that are going on. And there are a lot of people, we we always got to make sure that we maintain the right perspective. There are a lot of people in a whole lot of other different places in the world that are facing far greater challenges right now than we are and yet God is still working even in those places, and, and I'm thankful for that. And so I appreciate the song and the challenge, and God, God is our hope. I, we talked about it this morning. The, briefly, the solution for our nation is not political. It's spiritual, and uh, it begins with individuals choosing to prioritize Jesus Christ and to live out that faith in every area of their lives. Uh, before we get to the message, I, j- I need to mention something real quick. I got, I got kind of frightened um, during the song service. Miss Tina walked up to me with a switchblade, and I took it from her. And I, th- for our guests, there's a long story about one of our dear ladies and her cowboy boots and a knife in those boots, and then a, at church, and then a visit to the doctor, and it's just a long story that I don't want to keep repeating, but I will because it's fun. Anyway, um, she pulled this out, and she was like, Pastor, look at this. And then she opened it right in my face. I was like, wait, I can't even open it. I was going to impress you. Oh, I have it upside down. 
Maybe I don't need a switchblade. Somebody help me. Miss Tina, is this childproof? That's why I can't open it. Yeah, everybody's talking. and Oh, there it is. Huh? It's a comb. So there you go. Anyway, all right. You can have this when I'm done, Miss Tina. Thank you. All right. Enough of that. One of my favorite, one of my recent favorite stories about my kids um, it was Jaron. And this, I think this would have been last year. So Jaron um, is uh, seven. No, six. He will be seven. Thank you. Um, he's six. He will be seven. And so Ashlyn is 17 at the time, and Jaron is six. And Jaron's just running his mouth. I, you know how kids just start saying stuff? And you're like, what in the world is wrong with you? And he just starts running his mouth. Girls can't beat up boys. <laughs> Girls can't beat up boys. Girls can't beat up boys. Well, I'm like, well, I mean, there's a lot of times that's going to be true. But, homie, your view of yourself is way too high. <laughs> it's just, and so you need a very large dose of reality on you. And so I, I, I called Ashlyn. I'm like, hey, Ashlyn, I just, I want you to start smoking him. And I mean, we play hard in our house. I mean, your things are going to happen. It's okay. You learn to, that decisions and statements have consequences. <laughs> and so, so man, he's just sitting there like boys and boys and girls and boys and girls. And I'm like, okay. And so Ashlyn unloads on him a few times. And, he, and he's laying there. And if you, you've seen Ashlyn with all her big, blonde, beautiful hair. And then Jaron with his giant head and tiny body. And his little arms are just pinned to the floor. And Ashlyn's just over him. And I'm like, and so I'm making him talk to me while this is going on. I'm like, Jaron, Jaron, who's stronger? Boys are stronger. No, no. Boys are stronger than that. Boys are stronger than that. I'm like, okay, y'all keep going for a little bit longer. Man, she's just lighting him, lighting him up. And you can, you can, you know how it is when you start getting frustrated. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you see that, that, that determination set in. But the awareness, like, oh, this isn't going my way. His face starts getting red, and he's just, and Ashland's just giggling, and he's trying to karate chop her into next week, and all this kind of stuff is happening. Man, he gets pinned again, and it's, it's not gentle. I don't want it to be gentle. <laughs> How's that going, homie? I mean, I'm talking smack to my six-year-old. It's beautiful. And so I said, hey, Jaron, is Ashland a boy or a girl? <laughs> She's a girl. What are you? A boy. Who's beating you up? No, sorry. (laughs) Who's beating you up? A girl. A girl. So, Jaron, let me ask you a question. Are you stronger than her? Yes. And then we go around again anyway. (laughs) Eventually, eventually we got the answer that we needed. But it's amazing how self-deceived we can be, isn't it? It's amazing how inaccurate our assessment of ourselves can be. Here in our text, we see this comparison of two words that are, that are very different from one another. There's a significant contrast. In verse number 20, he talks about the poor. And then in verse number 24, 
he talks about the rich. Now, just on the merit of those two words, you just take those words by themselves. One of them is something that we would run from. The other is something that we would run to. Listen, don't over-spiritualize this. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want life to be as hard as it possibly can. I would prefer life to not be hard. (laughs) No, I know that it's going to be. I get it that that's the reality. But I'm not looking to make my life hard all the time. And if there's a way for it to be easier and if there's a way to be prosperous and if there's a way to advance and if there's a way to enjoy certain things, then, then I am all for that. And when we think about the word rich, we think about monetarily, we think about relationships, we think about opportunities, we think about experiences. That, that appeals to us. But then we think about the opposite of rich, which is poor, meaning destitute, a lack, not having sufficient enough. Well, that's challenging. And if I can just be honest, I want to be as far away from that one as possible, just based on the definition of those two words. One means having an abundance. The other means not having enough. So it would seem strange that Jesus would elevate the one that is offensive to us and would warn against the one that appeals to us. He says in in the first verse, verse 20, he says, Blessed are the poor. But then we, which bless, we've already talked about this, which means to be in a state of, of good standing with God, to, to have the joy and the peace and the happiness of God. But then he says about the rich, that, that those who he calls rich, he says, but woe, in verse 24, but woe unto you that are rich. And notice there's an exclamation point at the end of the statement. It's not like Jesus is saying, okay, well, well, you guys, you need to be aware here that are rich. No, there, there is intensity with this declaration. And, and there, is, there is no hesitation. Woe to you. You are in danger. You need to pay attention. You need to be aware of the imminent destruction that is, that is waiting for you. Now, that seems strange, but it's because there's a misunderstanding here. This is not talking about, the use of the word poor or rich is not talking about social status. How much money you make, the accolades that you receive, what you've achieved in society. If that were the case, then if Jesus were talking about blessed are you poor financially, it would, it would mean that he's highlighting not working, not making any effort, not educating yourself, not growing, not taking advantage of opportunities. This doesn't have to do with a person's station in life and what your annual salary is and, and what your level of education is. It doesn't have to do with those things. This is what it has to do with. And, and it's specifically connected to the story of Jaron and his assessment of himself. Jaron was saying this about himself. I am rich. And she, and all those blonde curls, she is poor. You look at these six-year-old biceps, and I'm not talking about my biceps. They're basically the same size, but whatever. <laughs> I'm not talking about I'm um, listen, you look at this, I am rich, and she is poor. What Jesus is talking about is how we assess ourselves. Turn with me, if you would, to 
stay in Luke, but turn to chapter 18. We'll eventually get to this chapter, the Lord willing, and we'll, we'll preach from this text. But I want you to see how this is illustrated. Beginning in verse 9, Luke 18, verse 9. And it's referring to Jesus. And he, Jesus, spake this parable unto certain. Notice the next four words. Which trusted in who? Themselves. He's talking about, the parable is about those whose assessment of themselves is higher than it ought to be. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and as a result, they despised others. Two men, in verse 10, went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious leaders. They had great pull and power in the society of that day. They esteemed themselves and were held in high regard. One a Pharisee, and then the other, and the other a publican. So you get the image here. You have a Pharisee that's going to pray, and you have a publican that's going to pray. A publican is a Jew who is a tax collector for the Roman government. They were despised because they represented the oppressors. They were also despised because typically they would take more than what was required by the Romans in order to line their own pockets. Multiple times you see Jesus calling different ones who were in that field in this response of I'm going to repay Zacchaeus I'm going to repay that which I've stolen so you have a Pharisee who's a religious leader you have a publican who is essentially assumed that he is not only a traitor but he's a crook and these two go and pray so in verse 11 the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself and this was his prayer God I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And then it's almost like in his smugness, he's looking around, basking in the people. Because you know the Pharisees prayed this way. They prayed in public so that people would pay attention to them. Jesus called them out about this. Now I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray in such a way that you are impressed with me. You're impressed with my wardrobe. You're impressed with my sophistication. You're impressed with my use of theological terms. You're impressed with the length of my prayer. And all of the things that I have achieved, I am praying not because I need God. I am primarily praying because I want to declare my own righteousness and I want you to be impressed with me. I'm going to stand here, I'm praying, then as he's declaring how he thanks God that I'm not like him and I'm not like her and I'm not like them, he looks over and he sees that public and he says, God, perfect example, exhibit A, I just want to thank you that I am not like that dude. Almost as though God is impressed with him. Like, God, you know how lucky you are. No, 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 look, I know you're God, but do you know how lucky you are that I am here calling on you, and I'm not, I'm not like them. Hey, this isn't the message. I just want to, I want to challenge you on this. We will work by the grace of God to never become a pharisaical church. Doesn't matter what somebody looks like, doesn't matter where they come from, doesn't matter what they're wearing, doesn't matter how new or long they are to this place or this kind of church, we are going to love People where they are. You're not better than any one of them. And not any one of them is better than you. God values people. Anyway, we got to move on from this. So there's the, there's the Pharisee. Not like that. 
Then there's the publican. I'm amazed at his humility. The Pharisee goes on, he, he continues that, but in verse 13, the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, have, have you ever been here before? Okay, I have. I can't do anything but weep. Frustration with myself. Can't do anything but mourn before God about my struggles. And can't even, even ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed to look in the mirror? That's where this publican is. He won't look up. He simply bowed down. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let me tell you what's going on here. There's a self-assessment taking place. The Pharisees over here saying, I'm good. No, we can go back through. I skipped a couple of verses. He said, I fast twice a week. I do this, 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 then this. You know what he's saying? I'm good. God, I just stopped by to tell you I'm good. Then you have the publican. Over here, you know what he's saying? God, I'm not good. In fact, I am broke. And spiritually, I might have money on my bank account. I'm a publican. I handle money. I collect taxes. I take more in than is actually necessary. In fact, if people look at my house, if people look at my car, if people look at the things I get to do and the size of the money bags that I carry around, they say, man, he's doing good. But God, you know the truth. God, you know that I'm broken. God, you know that my marriage is in need of your help. God, you know that my children desperately need you. God, you know that my life is filled with regret. God, I am nothing more than a sinner, and I need your help. Be merciful to me. This is a self-assessment. You go back to Luke chapter 6. I want to begin in verse number 24 and deal with the warning. He's warning those who assess themselves to not need God. Okay, I just want to, I want to throw two things out by which you can tell when you are assessing yourself as though this way, I'm good. Number one, you ready? Number one, you measure yourself by what you are not. God Thank you that I'm not like those people. No, this creeps into churches. This attitude gets into church. No, look, I want to thank, I want to praise God. I want to thank God for his grace, for his intervention in my life. I want to thank God that he's given me opportunities and that he spared me and that he's helped me. I want to thank God that he's opened doors for me. I want to thank God that I was raised by parents that love him and love me. I want to thank God for all of these things that I have been benefited with. I thank God for that. But the Pharisee wasn't giving thanks to God for his goodness. The Pharisee was evaluating himself to be superior than the publican. And I want you to get this. You are no better than any other sinner. Well, I came to church tonight to be encouraged. This is helpful. 
You are no better than any other sinner. You may not be guilty physically of the things that everyone else is guilty of, but the same sacrifice was necessary for your salvation as is for anybody else's salvation. We have, this, we have this attitude, man, I'm good, and I'm good because I'm not like them, and we live our lives. Instead of pursuing him, we live our lives being satisfied with comparisons of, of like I talked about in Sunday school, of, of lesser models. We compare ourselves over here and say, well, I'm not like them, well, I'm not like them. That's not the point. You are a broken sinner without Jesus Christ. In Pharisee, you may not have done what the publican did, but you've certainly done some things. So number one demonstration that we assess ourselves to be rich when we're not is that we're constantly comparing ourselves to people that we think are less than us. Number two, it's this, and this is just a characteristic of observation. We are not consistent in our pursuit of God. I don't need you. No, no, nobody would say that. Nobody, nobody stands up and says, I don't, I mean, not in here anyway. I don't need God, but it shows up in our attitude. It shows up in our response to truth. It shows up in our effort to love people or lack thereof. It shows up in the absence of any kind of walk with God in our home and teaching our children God's truth. There is this attitude about us that I'm good and I'm fine like I am. Like Jaron, we are overestimating our spiritual strength. And we have, we have no willingness to recognize that I am desperately in need of. And God says to that person, woe to you that are rich. Not that you really are, but you think you are good. You've received your consolation. Meaning... There are going to come into your life circumstances and experiences that are going to strip away at your false assessment and you are going to find yourself broken and wretched and you are going to have to confront the reality that you are not what you thought you were. The, the worst possible scenario is standing before God. Can you imagine that Pharisee standing before God? No, God, I'm good, I'm here. Your name's not written down. I, I don't know you. No, but I did all these things, and I have all this, and look at what I have to offer. No, I don't know you. You know why? Because you don't get, you don't get saved by your goodness. You get saved by the goodness of Jesus Christ. So that's the warning to the rich. But then there's a promise to the poor. He says in verse number 20, Blessed be ye poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Well, what is he talking about poor? We'll go back to the publican. I recognize this, and this is simple. I need God. No, I need God every day. I don't have physical life without him. The ability that I have. Man, this is so good for us to remember. The abilities that I have, the opportunities to have developed them, the opportunities to invest them, the opportunity to live in this country, the opportunities for education, the opportunities for experience, the opportunities for finances, the opportunities for advancing or accomplishing. God, those are a result of your goodness in my life. I, am, I need you, but that's not even my greatest need. You know what my greatest need is? That I'm a sinner who's in need of a Savior. 
And no amount of church activity, no amount of community activity, no amount of uh, checking off certain boxes and doing this and doing that is ever going to satisfy the righteousness of God. I have to have something from outside of myself. I need Jesus Christ in my life. You died for me. You rose again for me. And you offer forgiveness from sin. You offer eternal life. And that, that person, that woman, that man that recognizes, I am a poor sinner. I cannot save myself. This is what Jesus does. He elevates them and makes them a joint heir with him. You know what happens? You become rich. And I... Been times working through things in our marriage, working through things with our children, working through things in pastoring, working through my own struggles, and I I would have this attitude: I've got this, I've got it. Only to find out, like Jaron, <laughs> I don't got it. You humble yourself. Now, we can tell you about times where together we've held each other's hands and we've gotten beside our bed and said, God, we're struggling with each other. We just need your help. I'm thinking one way. I'm thinking another way. He's thinking one way. I'm thinking another way. She's thinking one way. I'm thinking another way. Isn't it amazing how in a marriage you can be so close to one another and feel miles apart at times? And you recognize, we can't do this on our own. You're dealing with your children and you're trying to raise them the right way. And you're trying to guard them against godless influences. And you're trying to build them up and lead them in the way that they ought to go. And you're pouring yourself into them. But then there's this attitude, man, I've got this. Oh man, I'm raising my kids different than those people. But then, brothers and sisters, there are no perfect parents. There are no perfect parents. There was only one perfect parent, and his name is God. And the perfect son that he created in the Garden of Eden still rebelled. That's not a reflection on God. That's a reflection on the human race. And so if God, the perfect parent, still, there was still rebellion from him. We got to, from Adam, we have to recognize that our children do not turn outright simply because we're amazing parents. There has to be a work of the grace of God that takes place in their life. Does our parenting and our training contribute or does the neglect of it contribute? Absolutely. Can there be failures that have consequences? Absolutely. And we talk about those things. But any parent that walks around with their head high thinking, yep, my kids are going to turn out right because of me. You're in for some rude awakenings down the road. Whether you're a pastor, whether you've been a faithful lay person, doesn't matter how many Sunday school lessons you've taught or how many times you've read through the Bible by yourself or with your children, there has to be a recognition that I need God's help in, these, in the hearts of these children, that he would work in them so that they would love him and so that they would pursue right and they would be women and men of honor and truth and grace and kindness. I need the help in the work of God. You know what God does? He intervenes. He blesses. He helps. I think about people who are willing to admit, man, I've got this habit. 
that I just can't break. Can I encourage you? Please, 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 please get this. Jesus was not ashamed of that publican. Oh, that's not enough. Jesus was not ashamed of that publican. He didn't, hear, he didn't see that publican. God didn't see that publican. Well, that's a parable. No, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. He didn't see the publican and, and have this attitude. You, let me get over here closer to the Pharisee. No, Jesus wasn't ashamed of him. And I'm, I'm telling you this, Jesus isn't keeping his distance from you. If there's distance from God in your life, it's because you're refusing to humble yourself before him. He doesn't look at the struggle and say, man, I don't want anything to do with that. He's waiting to help. And it's amazing to see what happens when people will humble themselves and admit what's going on and how God is able to move in and transform a situation Far quicker than anyone thought possible. I'm telling you there are people in this room and people watching online and people that are a part of this church that have seen God turn things around so much faster than they ever thought possible because they humbled themselves. Said, God, I'm poor. We need you. They stopped pretending to be more than they were and got honest with him. As a church... I want to be a poor church. I said it this morning in Sunday school. I'm gonna, I, I had no intention of trying to do the same thing. I'm just The applications are very similar. Please get this. We'd, we will not live our life as a church family looking around trying to figure out who we're better than. Because we're not. It's irrelevant. It's not the point. How this compares or that compares or that compares is irrelevant. You know what's relevant? To hear Jesus say, well done. That's what's relevant to me. Not in pursuit of, are we better than? I'm not in pursuit of, are they better than? That's none of our business. It's not even why we're doing what we're doing. If we're doing this church thing so that we can compare ourselves to another body, so that we can have a high view of ourselves, or so that we can pursue their level and maybe surpass them, we just need to close up shop and go home because that's not what God is interested in. We are here because we love him, and we are here because he loves people, and we should be here because in addition to loving him, we love each other, and we love people in this community whose names that we do not yet know, and we care about the lost hearing the gospel in this valley, and in this state, and around this world, and we want to be useful to God's purpose of building his kingdom. That's why we ought to be here. Look, God's not going to use us because he's impressed with us. God's going to use us if we have this attitude. God, we're broke. <sighs> well, I just don't like the sound of that. <laughs> well, it's true. I pray this. I try to pray this every time. You're welcome to pray this too. I'd be okay with it. Say, I want to pray for the service. I, I, I think this all the time. God, nothing good happens in these services unless you get involved. Nothing eternally good happens unless you are involved. It's not going to be by my might. It's not going to be by my power. It's not going to be by my ability or my organization or my vision. God, the only way that this is eternally productive in the lives of people is if you are involved to work. God, I need you. Here's, here's a characteristic of those who have an accurate self-assessment. They prioritize 
knowing and obeying God. God, I need you, so I'm going to know you. God, I need you, so I'm going to do the things that you say you will bless. Here's the statement. An accurate self-assessment results in limitless divine benefit. I've seen it happen in people's lives. You humble yourself. You come to God as you really are, as he sees you. He can change your life. But you harden your heart. You continue in pride. No, no, I, I, Brother Pablo, I got this. I got this, bro. I don't, I don't need that. Look, that, that's good for you. I'm good. I'm good. No, you're going to end up with much heartache in your life. And you don't even have to say, I don't need God. It's an attitude that he sees that permeates the way we live our lives. And there are, there are people today, there are even, I believe, children of God who have been pinned down by their own pride. And, and like, like Jaron, they find themselves here still clinging to their pride. No, no, I'm good. Instead of humbling themselves and saying, God, I have a sin in my life that I gotta deal with. God, my marriage really needs your help. God, I want to be useful to you, but I know you need to be involved in this. Instead of assessing yourself as I'm good, be willing to admit, God, I'm broke without you. I need you. This is what he says. Those that are poor, you assess yourself properly, you're going to be rich. You say, this sounds really discouraging. Actually, it's not. When you get to this place, when you learn to live in this place, it's amazing what God does in your life. It's amazing how much richer life gets when you understand how poor you really are. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. It may not be a massive area. may may not even be any area. The, the point of this isn't to preach people into a state of guilt, but just to preach the Bible. And if God deals with your heart, then for you to be responsive to it. As Becca's playing, Brother Nate's going to begin to sing. I wonder with every head bowed and every eye closed, if there would be anyone that would say, man, there's some areas in my life where my self-assessment is not accurate. And I am assessing myself. Maybe it's about salvation. Maybe tonight you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in a habit. Maybe it's in your attitude. But you would say, my self-assessment is way off. And I need to humble myself before God. I am struggling in these areas. And I know it's because I'm like, a, I'm like that Pharisee. I'm like a six-year-old. I am overestimating who I am. And I need, I need to live my life dependent on God. I need God's help, but, but I've struggled. Would you pray for me? Would there be anyone that would raise their hand and say, that's me. Yep, I see him. I see him. God bless you. Yep, all over the place. God bless you for your honesty. Well, let's stand. If the Lord has spoken to your heart, you respond to him.